life only lasts for a season dust to dust it passes away and in the end god you alone spoken what you have said is done in your name and in the end your word alone endures you do not change like shifting shadows as steady as the morning sun when all is fading you remain you stay the same forever faithful Now we live eternal, what you provide is perfect and good, and through it all, we have a hope secure. to worship at Fusion. To those of you in this space, as well as those of you connecting online, welcome. And now hear the word of the Lord. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. with us. Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to start on the chorus of because it's a newer one. We've done it before, but it's been a while. So let's start on that chorus. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be 
church ready for you every heart longing for our king we see even so
You may be seated. Good morning and welcome to all those of you who are here and to all those joining us online. Let's, um, let's unite our hearts in prayer. It's one of the great privileges that we have as Christ followers. We'll begin our prayer from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Gracious Father, we thank you that as a community being found in Jesus Christ, being formed by the gospel, and seeking to follow Christ faithfully, that we can unite our hearts together in prayer. As we unite our hearts together in prayer, we come before you both to petition and to listen. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. May the desires of our heart be compatible with the gospel. And may we ask for your grace and your mercy to sustain us. We thank you that we can come before you in prayer. We thank you that as a community we can come before you and worship you and give thanks to you. We thank you that as a community that we can support one another, that we can bear one another's burdens, that we can walk with each other through the darkest moments of life. We pray especially right now for those in our community, not only just in fusion, but in watershed and in celebration that are struggling with physical diseases. We pray for those who are struggling with mental challenges and mental health issues. And we pray that we might surround them, that we might support them, and that as they walk through these dark areas of life, that they may feel your presence in an extraordinary way. And as a community, Lord, may we learn to testify to your grace and your mercy and your love. May we be a people who, who openly and who honestly talk about how the gospel has shaped our lives with one another. And as we share the gospel, as we testify to the working of your grace and your mercy in our lives, we become a light to the world. We become a light to the world as we walk by faith. We become a light to the world as we bear witness to the message of the gospel. We become a light to the world as we testify to what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray, as a community, may we be dependent on you. As a community, we pray that the nations may find their dependence on you. 
We pray that you might give us and that you might give the nations wisdom and discernment and navigating the trials and the tribulations of life. But Lord, as your people, we, we want to pray because we're so deeply in love with you and want to be with you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Bless our service now in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. And the children at this time can now um, follow Miss April over there to the right. And um, Pastor JB will come and bring the word to us. All right. Thanks, Darwin. Good morning, friends. Good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome to Fusion. My name is uh, Pastor JB. As uh, Really, my name is JB. Uh, Pastor is just a title. You don't have to use that every time you talk to me. Um, <clears throat> but just a, a, quick, a quick note. Um, Wednesday night, we started our small group study. Uh, for those of you who came, uh, I was not there. Uh, I... My body forgot what a cold was like, and I had a cold this week. Thankfully, got a negative PCR test, so we're good there. Grateful to feel a lot better, but you might hear a little frog in my throat, so just a little update there. Um, so thank you for those who came out. There's some more books over by Aaron back there. Also, a couple of quick reminders this morning. Our Faith Friends meeting. Faith Friends is our ministry where we're matching up adults with kids, and we're getting our match uh, this morning. Uh, after the service, 10 minutes, 10-minute meeting. Any questions, we'll be in the library. Head back that way. Um, grab a donut and uh, enjoy some time together. Um, and then finally, uh, tonight, today, obviously, you'll see we have a table, uh, the elements. We're going to be celebrating communion. And so if you haven't yet picked up uh, a little cup uh, with the elements, um, raise your hand, and uh, Aaron will come bring a cup to you. That way, you'll be all prepared. Uh, communion will be right after uh, the sermon. With that, we are continuing our sermon series through the parables of Jesus, a sermon series we're calling uh, Scandal of Grace. If you remember, last week we, we looked at how the parables of Jesus were a way for Jesus to reveal the upside-down, inside-out nature of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God which was Jesus' primary message uh, that he was proclaiming during his three years of ministry here on earth earth. Uh, what we also know is that Jesus would fulfill that proclamation of the kingdom uh, by bringing the kingdom to his fulfillment by giving of his own life on a cross, uh, the, the, the tool of crucifixion by the Roman government. And that in and of itself, think about that, is an upside down, inside out way of bringing forth a kingdom, right? Earthly kingdoms do not come to be by the death of their king, right? That's not how it works. And so for Jesus, this was a way, the parables were a way to help his disciples begin to wrestle with these upside down realities of the kingdom of God that were so different uh, from the rules of the kingdoms of this world. And so last week, we looked at our first parable together. It was a parable that Jesus told in a particular context. Jesus was in the middle of a dinner party at a Pharisee named Simon's house, and uh, that dinner party is shockingly interrupted by a woman who's uh, a disgraced woman in the village, comes, enters the party, uh, anoints Jesus' hair, first with her tears and then with oil, and then Jesus shares this, this parable that kind of just turns all of, all of the people's paradigms upside down. 
Now, this week's parable is the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Uh, and and I, until studying it uh, this week, realized, finally realized like this parable also, at least in Luke's account, is told within a context. And so briefly, what is the context in which Jesus tells this parable in Luke 13? Well, the story before, uh, what we're going to read today, just a quick summary of what's happening. Uh, the middle section of, of Luke is Jesus and his disciples, he's, they set, Jesus sets his eyes toward Jerusalem uh, and the Passion Week, the cross. And so this whole middle section of Luke is, G- is Jesus and his disciples' journey back to Jerusalem. And so Luke 13 takes place during this journey back to Jerusalem eyes fixed on Jerusalem and the cross and what's ahead. But uh, Jesus and the disciples are stopping at a variety of different villages along the way. Uh, Luke 13, we're told they stop at a village. We don't know the name, what village it is, but we do know it's the Sabbath. And Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, which is kind of the religious social center of of a Jewish village in the ancient world. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on a Sabbath. And while he's teaching, he notices there's a woman there who's bent over. And what we find out later is is that this woman um, um, is bound by a spirit for 18 years and the spirit has has disabled her and, and left her bent over for 18 years. And what we're told is that Jesus, maybe in the middle of his teaching, stops, notices this woman and heals her in that moment and she straightens up. Then the synagogue leader steps in, as we hear at other points, and criticizes the people and says, if you're going to be healed, don't, don't come for healing on the Sabbath. Come any other day of the week. Jesus responds to the people gathered uh, and points out the hypocrisy. Jesus says, hey, uh, on the Sabbath, you'll untie your, your ox and, or your donkey to lead them to water. But this woman who has been bound by a spirit for 18 years She can't be untied, if you will, so that she might experience life. This is the context in which Jesus shares this parable. We're going to read verse 17, which is the last uh, verse of that that little story. And uh, and then we're going to read the parable, the mustard seed and the yeast. And as we read, as we listen to God's word, as our custom, let's stand and honor God as he speaks to us once again this morning. Luke 13, again, we'll start with verse 17. When he said this, referring to the response I just summarized, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. And then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you once again for the gift of Lord Jesus, of, of, of your parables. Lord, stories that, that invite and engage. Spirit, we pray that you would engage us as we explore these 
parables, these two brief parables together. And Lord, may you continue uh, in that exploration and that dialogue this coming week, maybe around our tables. Um, But Lord, as we gather together on Wednesday, Lord, that you would be constantly shaping and forming us more and more into the likeness of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his name that we pray all these things. Amen and amen. I feel like this is a a refrain I I often have been starting with, but our world continues to change. Amen? (laughs) And our world, particularly now we're into a new year, 2022, it, it feels like the world continues to change at a dizzying pace. But if you think about it, uh, the world has, has always been changing in a way. Culture has been shifting and changing and adapting. There's been major movements throughout the past 2,000 years, at least the, the past 2,000 years, which is churches, the church's history. And, and as a response, the Church of Jesus Christ has always faced this question in light of a changing world. How do we meet people where they're at as the world changes? Because culture shifts and changes, we know the gospel does not change, but in order to meet people where they are at, how do we meet people where they are at as the church of Jesus Christ so that they can understand this unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ? And just looking at American history, this this very question has led to a variety of different movements as the church has has pivoted to meet people where they are at. Just looking at American history, uh, you can point to the great revivals of the 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, later on in the 20th century, uh, more, more close to our current time, you had like uh, the movement of the power of positive thinking with Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller, the Crystal Cathedral, right? And that was kind of its movement that's kind of become something else today. You had the, the modern worship movement in the 90s where new songs were written, uh, songs that just moved the, the heart and spirit, and, and we continue to experience some of the fruit of that today. Um, later on, we, you, other movements, just thinking uh, the purpose-driven church. You remember the purpose-driven life and how that was a movement that, that, that helped people understand God's purposes in their lives. Uh, later on, uh, more recently, there's the, our, the megachurch movement. A lot of churches were trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Uh, then there was the church planting movement. Uh, and that's more recent where we're planting new churches. Here's an interesting thing. There's the megachurch movement. Uh, what you hear more and more in circles in church leadership is microchurch, right? And so what does it mean to get smaller as the church? And all of these, all of these things, uh, mostly good intention, I would think, uh, but the, the, they're, they're longing to search for the next great revival in our churches, and that word has become a word that's gained a lot of speed. We, we want to see a revival in, in the church of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and often with that longing is, is, a, is a parallel longing is looking for the next great strategy or the next great church model for ministry. And sometimes even it's looking for who are those leaders? Who are those charismatic leaders that will help lead that next large movement of God within the church of Jesus Christ? 
And for us, as we think about this kind of thinking and this kind of strategizing, it's easy for us to imagine Jesus as the embodiment of all these things that we value and strategies for ministry. So in the, church, in the field of church revitalization, uh, Jesus is that compelling and charismatic teacher and powerful healer who draws a crowd that leads to revitalization and a movement, right? In some ways, as I was just looking at the context of this parable, uh, seeing what was going on in this unnamed village uh, in uh, Judea, in some ways I think this is what the people are, are thinking after Jesus heals this woman in Luke 13. That Jesus is this charismatic leader. That Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah and he's confirming many of their expectations about the kingdom of God. Let's talk a little bit once again about the kingdom of God and what people were expecting uh, of the kingdom of God and of the Messiah. Uh, Once again, this context of this passage. Let's look at that. Jesus has just healed a woman who's been disabled by a spirit for 18 long years. And then he goes on and and puts his opponents in their place. It's all summarized in verse 17 that we read. When Jesus said this, all his opponents were humiliated. The Greek there, like put to shame, right? But the people were delighted or they rejoiced with all the wonderful, all the glorious things he was doing. So Jesus is in this unnamed village and, and really he's bringing it, right? He's bringing it. I mean, his opponents are being humiliated. He's like dropping the, the hammer on them. Like, I'll show you your hypocrisy. And, and, then, and then he's performing these miracles and the people are just getting excited about this, right? You can almost hear the collective energy in the, peop- in the people like, like this, this is it, guys. Like, this is it. This is the Messiah. I mean, do you see the power that he, he, he holds, this power that he's, he's showing? Do you see the authority in which he speaks with? And his opponents, they're humiliated, they're put to shame. This is it. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. You can almost hear, and hear it that, that, hey, next stop is, is Jerusalem. We're going to take back Jerusalem. And we're going to liberate, this Messiah is going to come. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to liberate Jerusalem from Roman occupation. And he's going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel and the prosperity of God's people. This is it. And of course, that, that image of the Messiah for the ancient people was, was a Messiah who had come, who would lead by force, who would lead an army, and who would liberate the city of Jerusalem, right, from occupation, finally restoring their independence This is the context. And this is the context that Jesus shares the parable that we just read about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine as Jesus opens up, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? And they must be thinking, oh yeah, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be great. And what does Jesus say? It's like a mustard seed. A couple verses later. It's like like yeast, What? <laughs> I can almost like hear the, the conscience of the people like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Mustard seed? Yeast? What are you talking about, Jesus? Those things are, are nothing like a kingdom. A kingdom of any kind, much less, much less the kingdom of God. Mustard seed? Yeast? 
Once again, Jesus' parables are shattering the expectations of the people, his original hearers. They had all kinds of paradigms about the kingdom of God, and he's just blowing up those paradigms in just a few words. First, let's look at this. What we want to do is just look at the imagery of these parables and just kind of walk through them slowly uh, to explore what do these parables tell us about the kingdom of God that is different than what the people were expecting. Let's begin uh, with this. The first things that this imagery tells us about the kingdom of God is it challenges the expectations about the size and the substance of the kingdom of God. Jesus is pushing against the people's, what we read in verse 17, delight in the wonderful, rejoicing in the the glorious, right? This longing for the wonderful and the spectacular because there's not much less wonderful and spectacular than a mustard seed and and a pinch of yeast, right? And what Jesus is sharing about the kingdom is that the kingdom is found in the small and the simple and the ordinary stuff of life. The mustard seed is the, is the smallest of seeds. In fact, in Matthew and Mark's a telling of this parable, they offer that commentary. Jesus offers that commentary. The smallest of any seed. Now, obviously the mustard seed is not the smallest of any seed that we know of, but for the first century Jewish audience, it would have been pretty close, right? It's small. Not only that, but, but yeast if you ever, ever worked with yeast, it practically disappears to the naked eye once you mix it with the flour. Both of these things are incredibly small, seemingly without much meaning. And not only are they small, but they're both simple. There's really not much to uh, either uh, a seed or a yeast. To the naked eye, it just looks like this small little dot, right? It's simple. And finally, beyond their size and their appearance, these two items are part of ordinary life for most first century households. Remember this, first century Palestine is is an agrarian society. It is is the, the society and the economy is all circled around agriculture, right? So most people in that context were either farmers or incredibly familiar with farming in and of itself, right? So they understand the process of taking a seed and planting it in the soil and and all that that encompasses, right? Not only that, but for food, What's the primary food for people in the ancient world, right? Bread, right? So they would have been very familiar with this process of of putting yeast in flour, mixing it with water, allowing that yeast to rise. They would have been familiar with that, right? Unlike us, you know, we go to Meijer and we have about 4,000 choices, right, for bread. No, for for all of these people listening, they made their own bread. And so seeds and yeast, this is all part of ordinary, everyday life and existence as a first century Jewish listener to Jesus' parable right here in this moment. What they're expecting uh, of the kingdom, they're expecting that the kingdom to come in big and impressive and extraordinary moves of God through his promised Messiah. And Jesus basically says to them in just a few words, you're looking for the wrong things and you're looking in the wrong places. The kingdom is found in the small, the simple, and the ordinary stuff of life. Jesus goes on. What is the kingdom of God like? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It is like yeast 
that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Next, notice that the seed is, is planted in the ground. That detail is given. Notice the yeast is, is mixed into flour. The Greek word there is literally, literally means hidden. The yeast is hidden in the flour. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God, yes, is small, it's simple, it's found in the ordinary, but also Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God often works in hidden, in the hidden and behind the scenes ways. The kingdom of God works through the hidden and behind the scenes. Again, the people were looking for a kingdom that would come in a very public way. That a Messiah would come, a king would come, and he would lead armies and, and liberate the city of Jerusalem. They were expecting a public spectacle, much like what we saw in, in, the, in the context, right? They were excited because Jesus' opponents were humiliated, publicly humiliated by Jesus. And that's what they were expecting. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Hidden. Behind the scenes. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus, once again, challenging the assumptions of the people, his original hearers of that day. The kingdom of God is not what you are expecting. And can we just, can we just pause? Can we just fast forward a couple thousand years? And just admit that we often fall into those same kind of assumptions that, that a move of God should look a certain way. Because Jesus, I think, is challenging, pushing against the big, the flashy, the spectacle that we obsess over as a culture. And the same obsession, the same thinking has infiltrated even our churches as well. I think this parable, Jesus' parable, challenges many of our modern ministry strategies which obsess with big numbers, large events, better marketing strategies and visibility, right? All those things are incredibly enticing. I get it. But I think Jesus' parable is challenging the obsession with those things. Because we've become enamored with, with the huge gathering, the large-scale event, online visibility and presence, and it's easy to, to, to follow those, you know, how many views are we getting on YouTube this week, right? Or we get, we get enamored with the charismatic preacher or worship leader that can just captivate a crowd or draw an audience. We've, we've been seduced by the lie that says impact is directly tied to these things. More people, more online hits, more public exposure, bigger budgets, the greater the impact in the kingdom of God. Is that true though? Maybe. Always? I don't know. But when we become obsessed with those things, it leaves us looking for the, for the next trend that'll bring the people back in. And most churches across the country right now are, have declined in membership declined in attendance. And we, be, we can become obsessed with that as a church, right? I remember a, a church I served years ago, you know, had, had, had declined. And what was the thing that I kept hearing? Was, oh man, you know, if we could just, if we could just do what we did back then, you know, and, and we just kind of restructure things like we did back then, then, then everyone, everyone would come back and, and the church would be busting at the seams and, oh man, it's kind of this like the glory days thinking, right? If we just go back, is that what we're called to? 
Again, it seems seems Jesus is challenging those assumptions that bigger is better. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Jesus in this parable seems to be emphasizing the small, the simple, the ordinary stuff that goes hidden and is at work behind the scenes. But Jesus' parable tells us more. Another insight that I think is incredibly powerful for us to consider, a word about how the kingdom works itself out in the world. It, the mustard seed, grew, became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. It, that is the yeast, worked all through the dough, Jesus says. In Jesus' parable, the mustard seed grows. The yeast expands throughout the dough. Here's a question you don't have to answer out loud. But what do these two processes share in common? I'm sure they share more than two things, but I thought of two things. Two things that both these processes share in common. The first is this, both processes take time. Anyone done some gardening? Trees don't grow overnight, right? Anyone bake bread? I am kind of curious. Anyone bake bread? because I'm going to give you a call and ask for a loaf. No, <laughs> I've baked some bread before. Yeast, it takes time to rise, right? Both take time. The second thing both these processes share in common is the processes happen on their own. We can't force them to happen. If you've ever gardened, if you've ever bra- baked bread, you know this. There's a lot of waiting There's a lot of waiting once you place that seed in the ground. There's a lot of waiting for that to become a seedling and then eventually to produce the fruit that you're longing for. If you've ever baked bread, I remember the first time I baked bread, I'm like, really, I gotta wait two hours for the dough to rise? I'm like, come on, I'm hungry. You know, I thought this was like a morning activity, right? It takes time. As long as the conditions are favorable, right? That's the one thing. As long as the conditions are favorable for a seed, as long as is the soil composition's right, as long as there's enough water in the soil, and once that seedling pops up through the ground, as long as there's sun, as long as the conditions are right. The same is true with yeast, right? As long as the temperature is right. Temperature is so important with yeast. It's got to be warm, not too hot. It's got to be in a dark place. That, that yeast will rise in that bread. What an important, what an important word for us. You gotta let the seed do its seed thing. You gotta let the yeast do its yeast thing. What an important word as we think about the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God, it's God's work. It's God's work primarily and often it takes time to realize its fruit. Jesus offers some important insight here about the kingdom of God. First and foremost, it is the work of God. Now does God choose us? in his grace and kind of mystery, right? God uses us as his ambassadors to accomplish his work here on earth, absolutely. I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that we can just sit on our hands and wait idly by while God does his work. God uses us and we participate with his kingdom work, right? We plant seeds, we plant seeds. Oftentimes we have some work as far as the conditions, right? To make sure the conditions are are healthy for growth but it is primarily, at the end of the day, it is God's work to bring about his kingdom in this world and in people's lives. And oftentimes, it's a process that takes time, right? 
Which is why our vision statement, which Darwin used in the prayer, right? That to see everyone joining in the journey. We use this language on purpose because that work is a journey. It is often a life, it is a lifelong journey. Just a, a quick story. A couple years ago, um, a couple years ago was Mother's Day. And uh, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic. And so uh, at our previous church, the women's group uh, dropped off flowers for all the moms. The moms group did. And so Yvonne got this, this beautiful basket, flower basket, uh, these bright, I don't know what kind of flowers they were. Um, but anyway, I'm not a gardener, obviously. But there was these beautiful, this beautiful basket of flowers. And, and, and I was like, man, those are amazing. But I'd seen other baskets of flowers. And those baskets of flowers were like overflowing and the flowers were like going all the way to the ground. So this, this flower basket was hanging on our front porch and, and I had uh, what you call miracle grow. You, you know what that is? Yeah. And so I had mixed some miracle, because I wanted these flowers to just explode. And so I, I mixed some miracle grow and I didn't even tell Yvonne this, but I poured some miracle grow in, in the basket of flowers and I, my expectation was that these flowers would just what ended up happening was I, I burned out like half the flowers. <laughs> so they're like all brown and there was, anyway, there's another imagery in there, but I burned them out. I wanted them to grow faster than God intended for these flowers to grow and I burnt the plant out. Isn't that our impulse? We get impatient with God. See, this parable challenges our, our, our quick fix, make things happen mentality in our culture today. Again, Jesus is pushing against the, 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 the stream of culture which says faster, quicker, make things happen. And our church has been tempted to fall into the values of our culture instead of or above the wisdom of Jesus Christ. We want to reduce church work to formulas. We want to be able to say, if I do this, if X and, or X and Y, we get Z, right? And if I, just, if I just plug the right variables in that formula, then I'm going to get growth in our church. We're focused on big, flashy numbers with short timelines and metrics. And in all that, we get tempted to make things happen. But the problem is when we try to make things happen, it's like pouring miracle grow and we end up burning people out. If you ask me, Miracle Girl is kind of false advertising, by the way, at least in my experience, right? It wasn't a miracle, it didn't grow, anyway. Instead, we should invest our energy in the things of God. Because we can invest our energy in huge events. We can invest our energy uh, in events that gather crowds but produce little transformation. We can manipulate emotions during a worship service to try to provoke decisions that make us feel good but then ignore lifelong discipleship. We can pour our resources in programs and events that draw huge crowds of people yeah, and it makes us feel good in the moment. But in all of that, we could, we could lose track and fail to learn people's individual stories and struggles. 
See, Jesus' parable is a powerful, powerful reminder to us as the people of God that we are not in for these short wins. We are in the long game. We're playing the long game. Lifelong transformation. Inviting people to join in the journey of being found in, formed by, following Jesus Christ. That is our vision in this season. To see everyone found joining in the journey. And friends, this might not be as exciting as the huge programs or huge events, and it might require us to get our hands a little dirty or doughy, if you like that illustration better, right? But we believe, we believe that it leads to greater impact. Because get this, a mustard seed, a mustard seed, again, I'm not a gardener, so I just am leaning in on the commentaries. But you plant a mustard seed, you get a, a, a large bush. You don't typically get a tree. Jesus is saying that the expectations are small. When God works in the small, simple, ordinary behind the scenes, what we get is more than we could ask or imagine. Both in this tree that, that is shelter for birds, as well as, as this 60 pounds of flour. Now, I've baked bread, 60 pounds of flour. You add water, that's like over 100 pounds of dough. That is a lot of bread for this one woman to be uh, taking on, right? The, the, the result of the kingdom is far greater than what we could even ask or imagine when we allow God to work in the ways that he works. So finally, let, let's end with some implication for us. Implication, our world is changing. It's changing fast. And if I'm fully honest, I have, I have no idea. I, don't, I have no idea what the next six months um, is gonna look like. I don't think anyone really does. I don't know what the next year is gonna look like. I don't, I don't know. I, it, there's a lot of uncertainty about our future. And I don't say that to try to, you know, make us all afraid or freak out, but just to be honest, I don't, I don't know exactly what the future is gonna bring. And we can, we can search endlessly for the next ministry trend or discipleship program or what we're gonna do as a community, and, and we are doing that. At a leadership level, we are looking at wh- how, do we, how do we pivot, how do we, how, do we, how do we best lead as a church body in this next season? But while we do that, what I do know, with what I do know, is that I do know that it's gonna be more important than ever to simply just be faithful in the small and simple, ordinary stuff of ministry. And that doesn't come from the top. That comes right here. It's investing in people. It's pouring into relationships with one another. And then it's in those relationships having patience to trust God's spirit to bring about the kingdom in our midst. It's in the small, it's in the simple, it's in the seemingly ordinary stuff of life when we begin to see mustard seeds begin to grow into trees. What does it look like here at Heart of Wake? Am I... just short time here, what I, what I see is it's in the weekly investment in young people in our community. It comes in, in those of you who, who faithfully show up 
once a week to mentor a student at Lakeshore and Harbor Lights through King Kids Hope and ASR. I see it in, in, in the meals that are made, the prayer shawls that are made and dropped off at our members' homes who are going through a variety of different circumstances. I see it in, in friend groups or small groups that have been meeting for years and who have walked with one another through the most unimaginable of circumstances, offering prayer and love and support. I believe it's, it's gonna be what we're doing gathering in the library as we begin Faith Friends, where adults get to just invest the smallest of investment in young kids' lives that makes a huge impact for the rest of their lives. It's in the faithful saints who, who maybe can't be here on a Sunday morning, but every week they are praying for each of us, sometimes by name. It's in our young kids just the one thing I'm aware of is our, our gems that are meeting on Wednesday nights and they're writing cards to our members who can't be here on Sunday mornings or maybe at all. And it's in these connections that happen throughout the week. See, I'm not sure what the future holds. I'm not sure how ministry will change in our ever-changing world, but no matter what comes, I do feel and I believe that this is true, that Jesus is calling us to be faithful in the simple and the ordinary stuff of life, to trust God, to work in God's timing, to do far greater, far imaginably more than we can ask or imagine because God has always used the ordinary and broken to bring about his extraordinary plan. We see him in, in using Moses. We see him using Ruth and King David and the prophet Isaiah throughout biblical history. And then we see in sending his son, a man from the town of Nazareth. Nazareth? Yeah, Nazareth. Jesus Christ coming into this world, living a perfect, sinless life, but taking on the brokenness of each of us and taking it to the cross and burying it in the grave so that we can experience life both now and forever. And this morning we gather to remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. And how do we do so? We remember using the simple, the ordinary of life, bread and juice or wine, the sacraments. Communion reminds us in a powerful way of the upside down, inside out nature of the kingdom of God. A kingdom that comes not by force, but by sacrificial, self-giving love. A kingdom that we are welcomed into, not based on merit, not based on family lineage or worth, but based on the scandalous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. A grace that would come in, in a scandalous and baffling way because our Lord Jesus Christ willingly took that journey to Jerusalem, willingly walked, carried a cross, willingly was crucified and put to death so that we might experience life. 
And so friends, we gather, we gather at the table of our Lord Jesus Christ to partake in his holy feast. It is a feast of remembrance, it's a feast of communion, and it is a feast of hope. We gather remembering Christ's gracious sacrifice at the cross and our call to participate in this work of self-giving love. We gather in communion, trusting the mystery that the Holy Spirit, as we gather around this table, unites us with Christ and with each other. What a beautiful mystery. And finally, it is a feast of hope. We gather in hope, recognizing that this feast is simply a foretaste of that heavenly banquet that we'll enjoy in the life to come. So friends, we gather around the Lord's table to receive this gift of grace and we receive it in faith. Believing there's nothing we can do to earn it, but believing that it is a gift to be received. Standing on the firm foundation of the gospel that gives us hope for today and for tomorrow. Before we hear the, the words of institution, just a quick reminder. If you haven't gotten a cup yet, take that. This, the seraphim uh, seal on the top, remove that first and remove the wafer before you open the, the juice. as we hear these words, words that, that Jesus spoke, words that the people of God, the body of Christ has, has listened to for 2,000 years. Just ponder that. We, as a church, we've, we've come with all kinds of strategies and things. And again, these are not bad necessarily. But what we're about to participate in has not changed for 2,000 years. There is something incredible that Christians have gathered around a table for 2,000 years and have broken bread together listening to these same words. Now, I don't know if that doesn't give you kind of goosebumps. We are rooted in something deeper and more true than most things we encounter on a daily basis. And hear those words once again. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup, saying this cup is a new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And so you're invited 
to take, to eat, to remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for complete forgiveness of all of your sins. Then take, drink, remember and believe that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for a complete forgiveness of all of your sins. Body of Christ, let's pray together. Lord God, we just pause for just a moment and remember, Lord Jesus, what you did for us by giving of your life. Lord, because you love us. Lord, because you call us your children because Lord, we are found in you. Oh, what a gift, Lord. Our hearts are drawn to the words of of the psalmist who says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless God's holy name. Our hearts, Lord, are filled with praise and wonder at the gift and the scandalous grace of our God revealed in Jesus Christ. Lord, just as these elements nourish our physical body, Lord, by your spirit, would you nourish our very souls that, Lord, you would give us what we need to continue to live for you. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for this gift. And now, Lord, we respond in worshiping you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. God's people say together, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
Now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. All this. Is-